back to Libertarian Los Angeles. I'm Sean Osborne. Today we'll be continuing the series of podcasts I recorded at the Libertarian Convention in Visalia, California. If you missed the first episode featuring Marshall Byrd, a state assemblyman from Wyoming, be sure and go back and check that out. On today's episode, we'll be featuring one of the speakers from over at the Mises Caucus event. Uh, it was across the street from the convention. We'll be featuring Hotep Jesus today. He was talking about branding and how to brand liberty. So stay tuned for that. And the next podcast, make sure to tune in for it. We'll be featuring Thaddeus Russell, the historian. So enjoy, and we'll see you on the next episode. Hi, this is Sean Osborne, and I would like to share something with you. One of the key principles of libertarianism is volunteerism and charity. So I decided to make an album of songs that each song would represent a different charity and all the royalties would go to those individual charities. My song, It's Time, goes towards the Sea Shepherds. Much Braver Than I benefits the Fallen Firefighter Foundation. Over There benefits the Wounded Warriors Project. And Lend a Hand benefits Children's Hospital. I thought this is a great way for people to give to a charity without spending a dime. The more you listen, the more you give. So please, take time wherever you listen to music and listen to Four Others Volume 1 and share it with others. Thank you. Now back to the show. kick-ass stuff in California this year, and hopefully national next year, so yeah. stick with me for that. We're really going to make it happen. Um, I want to introduce you guys to Hotep Jesus, also known as Brian Sharp. He is um, a really, he's a mover and shaker right now in the liberty community and in the cryptocurrency community, an entrepreneur who's really got his finger on the pulse of things, even with artificial intelligence. He's a media personality, and he's got a lot going on. And we're really pleased to have him here to share any of his wealth and experience with us. So let's all give a good welcome to Hotel Jesus. You know what I call the Democrats? Guess. Blue, Blue whites. Blue whites. <laughs> it's like 
guess you guys are. Yellow. Which is ironic, I just realized. I really love your blazer. Thank you. I really love. I'm in marketing and branding, so when I see somebody who consistently brands, I have to appreciate it. And I love that she put the yellow and black together, the anarchy colors, the libertarian party colors. That's beautiful. Shout out to Kelly. Clap it up for Kelly real fast for bringing me out here. to a bar. How do you know which one's the conservative? She's the one walking in holding hands with a white man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Three black men walk into a bar. How do you tell which one's a Democrat liberal? One with white man. Wrong, white man. <laughs> Don Lemon, right? This is what they do to my people. They emasculate us. They do it to white men, too. I remember the kids when I was younger. They had the rock bands. They used to wear, like, dresses and paint their nails and shit like that. So they got their fair share, but the Democrat Party is pretty much only giving black folks a certain image to follow. A lot, of, a lot of people come to me and they say, um, especially conservatives, what's wrong with your people? How come they're not voting such and such and such? I'm like, bro, like, relax. Like, do you even know the demographics of black voting? It's like my mom, my grandma, my aunt, bro. Like, only half of the black community actually votes. I don't vote. We don't believe in the fucking system. So when people say, oh, people are always voting Democrat, I'm like, which people are you talking about? Are you talking about the ones that our boomer generation, because the new generation doesn't believe in it, except for the ones that have been caught up in the Marxist stuff. But like, who are you talking about here? Like, which set of black people? So going back to my previous statement, where they only show us one type of black person, guess what type of black person they hide? They hide me, people like me. I'm too masculine. I'm too rebellious. They don't like that. In my uh, experience, white people only liked you when they can control you, when they can predict your behavior, then they liked you. Once you came out of that paradigm of what they thought you should be or could be or would be, they didn't like you too much. But it was interesting to know I had a great upbringing. I was born into a six-figure household. My mom made six figures. My dad makes six figures. My mom was an accountant. My dad was an electrical engineer. My dad was one of two electrical inspectors in the state of New Jersey that were black. Very accomplished man. I'll never live up to his shoes. That's my guy. That's my best friend. I love him to death. My dad. I grew up in a very affluent neighborhood. In fact, when we first moved on the block, this is all Italians. We first moved on the block. Uh, a neighbor across the street came to us and he said, you know, before you guys moved in, we used to have a, a, a block party. When we moved in, the block party stopped. This is blue New Jersey we're talking about here. This ain't redneck country in Alabama. This is blue New Jersey we're talking about in the 80s. It's the type of situation we're dealing with. But it molded me because 
I went to this affluent, mostly white neighborhood where the white people thought I was broke. Nah, my mama had money, my daddy had money. And when they found that out, oh, they really hated me, man. It's like, damn, these black guys got more money than me. You know, you go back to school, they do back to school shopping. My mom would give me two weeks of like Tommy Hilfiger and Polo. I was dripped down from head to toe. I dressed better than the white people. It's crazy. But there was a dark side. My mom was one of five children. She grew up that poor. I'm talking about her house is probably, the house they grew up in with five kids. It's probably the size of this room, the whole house. So she grew up that poor. My mom's the only one that became successful. Still to this day, my mom takes care of the entire family. She's the government. Very good one. Very good one. But there's this dark side of my family. So every summer, I will leave the suburbs where it was safe. And I go to the hood, stay at my grandma's house. No, it, uh, it's Essex County, New Jersey. North New Jersey. North New Jersey was the car theft capital of the world. So we're not too far from there. My ghetto cousins, I call them after they're ghetto. They'll admit it. My ghetto cousins had a mom hooked on crack. I had a cousin who died from AIDS. Cousin in and out of jail. Matter of fact, I lost two cousins recently, in the past few years. One to gang violence, Florida. She was a female lesbian. She was a gang member, blood. And I lost another one. I remember we was watching TV one day. It was like a cop show, like cops or some shit like that. I was like, oh shit, that's my cousin. <laughs> so I called my other cousin. I said, Sharia, is, is that our cousin on the TV? Yeah, that's our king. I thought I was him. Yeah, he's stupid. Hakeem's <laughs> dead. I think a police officer killed him. I'm not going to go into particulars that he deserved it or not, but it's neither here nor there. So the funny thing is, I saw the beautiful white neighborhoods, green grasses, shit was safe. I had money, I had all video games. Then I saw my cousins who sometimes didn't have a safe home to go to. As a kid, I'm wondering myself, how the fuck did I get so lucky? What the fuck? I was born into this world, into this environment, and my family member was born into an environment the complete opposite. What made me so fucking lucky? Never sat right with me. Hated it. Hated being a rich kid. Fucking hated it. It's like, why the fuck are people suffering? And I got shit for days. Remember, my family used to come over. Actually, at Christmas, I used to hate when my ghetto kids, uh, cousins came over because they break my new toys. <laughs> they come be like, oh, you got new toys? <laughs> Did this last year and the year before that. Still loved them. Couldn't understand why they were dealing with these problems. <coughs> well, my dad's from Jamaica. So I thought I saw poverty until I went to Jamaica. Woo! 
You ain't seen poverty till you go to Kingston. Now my dad's from Kingston number 10. That's called Halfway Tree. That's where Bob Marley's from. In fact, my dad went to school with his drummer. Weird story, whatever. Fun fact. I saw that poverty. And I saw my cousins. I'm like, yeah, y'all look good compared to these motherfuckers. I remember even at my grandmama's house, it's like you go to take a shower, you turn the water on, and it's just like dribbling out at my grandma's house. So you kind of got to just get underneath there and just like, and it's hot as shit. There's no air conditioning. This is hurricane country. So everything's built with stone, and you got lizards running across the walls and stuff. But they're prideful people, so it's clean. Her, At least her household was clean. Water. There's no water pressure. Government, you know, that's a whole other story. Infrastructure's all screwed up. I was like, damn, I can't even get a good amount of water on my back down here. This is trash. So then it starts molding me. I start like, I'm an only child. I have a half brother and half sister. They came from Jamaica. My, my brother's like 185 and my sister's like 182 or some shit like that. <laughs> They're older than me. So I grew up an only child. You grew up an only child just gives you a lot of time. And this is before we had devices and phones. So I was a very lonely kid. Very, very lonely kid. So I used to daydream a lot. And I think about things. One of the things I thought about, I was raised Catholic. I was confirmed Catholic. One of the things I thought about was they kept saying that Jesus would come back. So I said to myself, motherfucker, what if I'm Jesus? <laughs> I could be. So this is something that was reoccurring in my head as a kid. I might be Jesus. Maybe not. I could be though. You will know. So when you're young and you with yourself, you just have conversations with yourself. Alright. Fast forward, I'm on the internet being me, an upgraded version of me. Somebody, I was we were running under the banner hotel. Somebody comes to me and they say, what do you think you are? Some sort of hotel Jesus? I knew he was going to come back around. I knew I was Jesus, damn it. I knew it. But the name had a ring to it. And when I first saw it, I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I am Hotep Jesus, damn it. I took on a name. Funny thing is when you take on names, you take on responsibility. So I had to upgrade myself, get better and better and better. But anyway, there was something quirky and odd about me. I was loyal to a fault. I can tell you stories with days. I had my best friend stole $3,500 from me a year ago. No longer friends. I'm loyal to a fault. I don't talk to anymore. Loyal to a fault. When I was... So I grew up in First went to school in Newark. Then we moved to the suburbs, and I was the only black kid in the suburbs, so I didn't fit in well. Plus, I was like a hybrid. Like, I'm talking Ebonics slash proper, because my mom didn't like Ebonics, so I sounded weird. Then you mix in my dad's Jamaican accent, and I don't sound like anybody, you know? I'm a kid. And I would spend some summers in Jamaica, so I'd come back have these weird accents or whatever, so it's different words. I'd take covered instead of, you know, my best friend was Michael Panico. I didn't know it, but he was the kid that picked his nose and ate it in class. <laughs> but he lived down the street from me. 
I'm not not going to claim them. I've been playing with them all summer. I get to school and find out everybody's making fun of me. So I fought his fights. You fuck with Mike, you fuck with me. So I fought Mike's fights all the way up to high school. And high school people kind of cooled out. Then I got to the soccer team in high school level. And I got cool with this kid named Brian Bianco. Another Italian kid. They're both Italians. Brian Bianco had a mean left foot. He scored from way out. He was a little retarded, though. I but it was cool. Like his mom used to pick me up and take me home from practice, so I'd be hanging out with him. You know, it was my ride to practice because my mom worked so many hours. That's the homie. I'm with Brian. Yeah, I'm with Brian. I was on the bus one day, and the kids are spitting on him and doing all this. Boom! I'm knocking kids out. They obviously they suspect me. I'm the black kid, so they suspect me. Oh, you're fighting on the bus. I'm like, yo, they're spitting on his teammate, bro. Because I'm black. It was all my fault. Because when you're outnumbered by a bunch of other kids, it's their story versus yours. Cool, whatever. I had another friend. Matter of fact, I was speaking to somebody who who is in my Saturday class. I do a Saturday class on marketing. He went to high school. Jay Jones, Jones, he runs Waste of Talent Podcast. And he said to me just yesterday on the phone, he said, you know, Brian, you one loyal motherfucker, man, because in high school, I got I got girls. I, that's just what I did. But my friends were the geeks. He was like, you, you hung out with all the dweebs, bro. You could have hung out with the cool kids. You could have hung out with the jocks. You could have hung out with anybody. But you decided to hang out with such and such. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the only guy. So I was hanging out with just something. I'm not going to ditch him to be cool. Like, you know, I'm loyal. He's like, you're the only one out of your friends that got, I can't say the P word, women. I want to be respectful, ladies. I'm trying my best. Okay? It's that hood side. So you got a little bit of ghetto in me, okay? So I was charismatic. I was many things. My dad uh, said to me, he said, uh, two things I was always going to be. He said, one, a, a lawyer, because I was a very clever liar. I just was. I just probably be a smart and tell a lot of stories. In fourth grade, I forged my mother's, no, no. Second grade, I forged my mother's signature. I put it in all print. <laughs> <laughs> she still has the card to this day and tells everybody the story. <laughs> the other thing he said was, it's a song for your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> about that. You're gonna be a politician. And here I am. <laughs> These things just keeps coming full circle. Really, 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 really odd. Really odd. So here I am, political event. I remember when Trump got elected. Before BLM was BLM, I was exposing BLM. Before Trump even announced it, I was exposing it. I got kicked out of the black Twitter before you guys even created your Twitter account. <laughs> Who tri created, uh, tri uh, created a Twitter account after 2014? 2013. Anybody before? 2009. Nine. 2009? 2009. Shout out to my early adopters. <laughs> you remember what Twitter used to be like? Yeah. Oh, these people don't know. <laughs> such a beautiful place. Bring it back. Yes. 
Such a beautiful time, original Twitter. You can say anything. Yeah. I mean, you see the left getting exposed for fucking posting pedophile tweets. Like, what the fuck were you talking about? <laughs> Jesus. So you could say anything. It's evident now. They've gone back and cleaned, cleaned up the tweets. But I was kicked out of black Twitter. It's like, what are you talking about? You don't believe in black lives and black lives don't matter? I'm like, look at the website. It deleted me right here, bro. It says mothers, parents, children. Wait, wait, wait. Mothers, parents, children? Where's dad? It's supposed to say mothers, fathers, children. Why does it say fathers? Why is it something's wrong here? I spotted the red flag. Then it had LGB, 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 LGBT. I say, oh, this is for gay people. <laughs> so I ran to YouTube. Hey, y'all, Black Lives Matter is for gay people. Sean King's a fraud. <laughs> You're just jealous. <laughs> no, listen, damn it. Well, what happened? BLMChapterStatement.com is talking about the different chapters are complaining because the money's not coming from the mothership down to the satellite chapters. I told him this in 2014, 2015. That's why we got the show. Hotep's been told you because we tell people about this a long time ago. I was always a, a big, I wouldn't say big, but I liked Alex Jones. I thought he was entertaining, good info, shit I've never heard people talk about before. He kind of hit me to the whole Federal Reserve System and whatnot, and Jekyll Island and all that good stuff. So I was in tune with that stuff. But uh, the thing about me was, I was always different. I was never afraid to be different. If everybody was going left, I'm like, why are you not going left? What's right? Because it's got to be something over here. Have you looked over here? You haven't? Well, I'm going to look over here while you guys tell me what's left. Because a lot of people are going left. And I'm like, I'm going to go right. Conservative, right? <laughs> so I got into conservative Twitter. I didn't even know what a conservative was. Uncle Hotep told me about a conservative. Then I found out they were black conservatives. I'm like, there's black conservatives too? Black Republicans? Wow, no idea. So I got my crash course in politics over the past four years, just like 90% of America. <laughs> when politics became pop culture. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the left. I learned about, a lot about the right. Then I ran into this team of ragtags called the Libertarian Party. I'm like, God damn, what the fuck is a libertarian now? <laughs> Is that a liberal? No, just because it has library and it doesn't mean it's liberal, it's libertarian. This is different. So at first I was like, oh, they're just scared to be Republicans because Republicans <laughs> got a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> then the more I learned about Republicans, I'm like, oh no, they're Republicans are retarded. Republicans are fucking retarded. <laughs> That's why they're libertarians. They got some fucking common sense. Then I got into anarchy and I'm like, I like this ANCAP shit. I started reading the Rothbard. Shout out to Chad Lemoyne of the Aquarian Anarchy Podcast. Started reading the Rothbards and Mises. Mises. Is that what you said? Yeah. So I started reading up and MisesInstitute.org. Yeah. 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 Yep. A lot of free information on that bench. <laughs> I love to read. Like I just when I was a kid, we didn't have iPads, so I just read read all the time. 
start educating myself. I'm like, oh, I like these yellow whites. <laughs> <laughs> these guys are pretty fucking cool. <laughs> and it reminded me of somebody. Reminded me of something in history. Anybody ever heard of the anti-Mason party? <laughs> Raise your hand. Anti-Mason party. What election was that? Was it Jackson and who did Jackson run against? I'm supposed to know. I've smoked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Got him. <laughs> I'm supposed to know because he's fucking talking about it. But it was a big party, and they basically what happened was one of the guys ran. Um, as an anti-Mason and split the anti-Mason party. And that's the problem with libertarians might face is where somebody will just take your talking points and then run on your talking points and then you're just like left out in the code, you know, with 1% of the vote, right? Now, I just told you about some real secret little Illuminati stuff. So don't go out of here saying, Hotep Jesus told him about the anti-Mason party. <laughs> You heard that from Thaddeus Russell. <laughs> Thanks again. Allegedly, there's some conspiracy theory that America was created by Masons. It was. Um, <laughs> Adam Weishaupt. You might know Adam Weishaupt. Adam Weishaupt. Do you remember when he created Illuminati? Illuminati, yeah. Um, before the French Revolution. And then, and then uh, I don't know, like Divided us, creating this Libertarian Party. It's a good idea. I think the Libertarian Party is a great idea. Now, why did I bring up all those stories about myself and the Libertarian Party? Because I was a goddamn renegade. Shout out to the author of The Renegade History of the United States of America. <laughs> Clap it up for him. That book Recite shit out that book to people, and they're like, oh, they cringe. That's not true. It's right here. You can go look up the sources. Makes sense. People don't want to deal with the truth. Like I said, so, why did I bring all that up? 
or you guys the Mises Caucus. I don't even know what the caucus is. I thought caucus was short for Caucasian. <laughs> it, it is. It is. <laughs> So we have the Mises Caucus. I understand you guys have uh, chapters in all 50 states? Yes. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. You guys inspired me. I went to Hotep Nation, and I'm like, maybe we need some chapters. Good idea. I mean, it's a try improvement methodology of organizing, spreading the message. 50 states, wow. You know what that means? Some fucking hope. <laughs> There's some hope. So my expertise is what? Marketing and branding. That's right. <coughs> Do marketing and branding. Are you on the iPad while Hotep Jesus is speaking? Looking <laughs> you up. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. What's your name, sir? Aaron Starr. Aaron? Yes. Aaron? Spell it. Two A's. Two A's. R-O-N. Uh -huh. Aaron. 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 No, Aaron. What you up, goddammit? Anything good? Haven't got that far yet. <laughs> All right. Don't read the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not actually supposed to look me up. <laughs> so, don't look me up. Okay. But that looks like something attached to that. Was that the event block page? I was just. I'm, I'm sure whatever it is is my fault. <laughs> it's definitely his fault. So there's some hope. There is some hope. I do marketing and branding. So I came here today to give you guys some fucking advice. a politician, I cringe because when I thought of politicians, I thought of people who wear tight suits, were pretentious, and just uptight. Thought their shit didn't stink. I'm like, that's not me at all. I'm very down earth and organic. I threw away my suits when I had my spiritual awakening. Didn't want to conform to the European way of society. I started dressing like an African. I still do sometimes. I still wear clothing from Ghana. Rid of that. Again, going back to being a rebel, a renegade. So, what does that mean for the libertarian party? Are you guys gonna be like the Republicans and the Democrats and follow in their footsteps and operate how they operate? Is the Mises Caucus going to operate how the establishment says to operate? There's this thing in America right now called political correctness. It's really like a social cage. It's to keep people check in line. When you're younger, they teach about these drug programs, and they said, the reason why you're gonna do drugs when you get older is because of peer pressure. Well, the number one drug in America is fucking CNN. And the peer pressure coming from CNN is causing people to be afraid to not wear a mask because they might be labeled a white supremacist Trump supporter. So they used the peer pressure to... Did young Hotep Jesus succumb to peer pressure when I was hanging out with geeks and weirdos? Ah, stay loyal, man. That's what the Libertarian Party is. 
got to be different. You can't challenge every piece. We're going to go in the questions section in a moment here. Let's get your questions ready. And I can answer any question. <laughs> Except for math questions. <laughs> <laughs> she had some ready. <laughs> Question, marketing. Huh? Question, question, thank you. Question everything. My God. Question everything. Every little piece. That's how I became the individual I am, the more polished individual I am today. Is because I'm always. Jesus Christ. As an only child, you're always doing like this checks and balances with yourself. I don't know about other only childs, but me, I was doing checks and balances. Every time I had an interaction with a person, I'd analyze that interaction and say, was I my best self? What could I have done differently? And I'm always running checks and balances against my personality, my ego. I like to read young. So I'm always checking the id. It makes you better. The thing is, when you look at the rules that society set forth, for example, they told me Hotep wasn't a marketable name. Well, I put Hotep on Fox and Joe Rogan. So you tell me what marketable means. They told me I couldn't do a lot of things, but I still did it because I believed. I had a blog, was doing millions of hits. My family used to tell me, it's not making you money, stop doing that, go get a job. I go get a job, pay bills for a month, get fired, whatever. I was a touring artist, so I was wild. I should just try to make ends meet every month. But I, my blog was really popular. Millions of hits a month. That's how I got the 50 Cent gig. I ended up working 50 Cent, doing some things on um, Madison Ave in New York City. Polished me up as far as uh, marketing was concerned. But I still challenged things. I challenged the political correctness of what they said I should do, how I should do it. They told me, Brian, don't do this blog. Well, if it wasn't for that blog, I wouldn't have been with 50 Cent. I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't have defeated my stage fright. I used to have stage fright. But people told me I shouldn't be a rapper. I became a rapper. I did tours, and I got over my stage fright. Now I can get in front of a room people and talk. It's no problem. But I had to do something that people told me I shouldn't do in order to get that experience. The Libertarian Party has to challenge every norm, every single one. Make a list of how people operate, how they talk, how they walk. Just analyze how these Democrats even hold their events and then do it different. So I teach marketing on the weekends. I'm gonna tell you guys what marketing and branding is right now, really fast. Free lesson. 
marketing equals uniqueness. So I had a professor who was a consultant for DuPont, and DuPont wanted to sell more laundry detergent. So they said, yo, we need you to come up with a plan. How are we going to sell more laundry detergent? So he says, give me the laundry detergent. He looks at the list of ingredients and, and their effects, and one of the ingredients said antibacterial. He said, take this and put it on the labels. Now called antibacterial soap. Today we might remember picking up antibacterial soap. It is the same exact formula. All he did was put antibacterial on the packaging. Market is broken down into four P's, product price, placement, and packaging. So they change the packaging. Antibacterial, they change the price. A little more expensive. But it was unique from everything else on the shelf. Now everybody does antibacterial soap or anti-COVID soap or something like that. But it was unique. So marketing equals unique. uniqueness, yes. So there's this thing called branding. Everybody gets branding wrong. People think, oh, branding is your colors and this and that. It's like, no, that's the branding aesthetic. What is branding? Because if you don't brand, your marketing is going to be worthless. It's going to be all for naught. So, what is branding? Branding equals consistency plus reputation. What's branding? Consistency plus reputation. That's it. You guys are now ready for Madison Ave marketing. <laughs> you guys are a job and go marketing. Seriously though, as long as you keep these rules in your mind, you can always be great. So what did I do when I wanted to bring it? Well, consistency is one thing. So I always wore a robe on my live streams. And to test if my branding was working, one day I didn't wear the robe. But what do you think people said? Where's the robe? Ah, I'm branding, good. <laughs> so, what do I do on my show now? Or most of my streams, even when I go on podcasts, I eat. <laughs> and it was funny because I ate on a podcast once, and in the comments, somebody was really annoyed. <laughs> I knew engagement equals more looks, likes, and all that stuff. So how do I get people to engage? Sometimes you piss them off. So I was like, I'm just going to eat now. Since you're so pretentious and stuck up, I'm going to do exactly what you hate, and you don't have to watch the content. You can go. Because there's something in marketing called marketing repulsion. Galvanizing your audience is not about who you attract. It's who you repulse, who you say is not qualified to follow me. I block people on Twitter left and right. People say, why you do that? I said, they are not qualified to exist in my atmosphere. They're not qualified. If they were qualified, they get it. The same tweet they're mad at, they would get it if they were qualified. They can come back when they're qualified. I have an unblocked fee. It has to be paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> this is just the truth of the matter. So disqualify people from your audience. Creating your brand isn't about who likes you, it's also about who doesn't like you. And that's when you start narrowing your audience. If you ever run Facebook ads, Facebook ads, it shows you the size of your audience. You always want to try and narrow that thing down. Yeah? That's what's happening. 
So repulsion marketing, getting rid of people. So marketing equals uniqueness, and branding equals reputation. And reputation. So now every time you watch Old Testament told you, I got my plate and I'm eating. Now I do something else that's really funny. There's this like thing about black people eating chicken. So I take it to the next level. I eat the chicken all the way down to the bone. And people comment on that. Damn, he tearing that chicken up. He really black. Look how he eating that chicken. That's how you know he black. So some people are thinking that I eat naturally chicken like that. I'm just like, no. I know human nature. I know how to trigger people. Get them talking. Give them things to remember. So when somebody comes and they say, describe my brand, people start saying things like, eating on the podcast. What else would you say when you describe the Hotel Jesus brand? What other things come to mind when you think of Hotel Jesus? The Grifty Awards. The Grifty Awards. Oh, I love that. What else? That's hilarious. What's the one you Starbucks. Dang! Starbucks. Starbucks, yeah. That's branding. What I did was I took a multi-million dollar corporation and every time you think about Starbucks, sometimes you're going to go, I remember Hotel Jesus got that free cup of Starbucks. <laughs> so I'm borrowing their multi-million dollar marketing budget. Little hats and tricks. I remember when I was a rapper once, I understood this idea of borrowing large corporations' budget. So I did a, a, a record um, called uh, Door to Explore. And I sampled Door to Explore. Went viral. It's crazy. Kelly, time? It's Angela. It was 755. Did I miss Angela? It gets funnier after time, to be honest. That was kind of, it was my favorite part of the stuff. Sorry, Steve. You should have corrected me. I'm the worst with names, by the way. If I don't write your name down, Aaron. I'm the worst with names. It's Angela, actually. I'm Kelly. Kelly. Where is Kelly? He's picking up Larry. Exactly. Um, but you guys get what I'm saying. You want to win in the Mises Caucus? Be unique. <coughs> Don't do what the other guys do. Change the game. <coughs> yes. Seeing cycles and patterns. 
If you think you're gonna change a cycle and pattern that's been happening since ancient Rome, you have lost your mind. Don't. What you need to do is, there's a game being played. Where's your game? Did you create a game? Because you're trying to convince other people they shouldn't play that game. It's just like, just create your own game. If your game's better than their game, they're gonna come to your game. Just create your own game. So you're talking about, you know, you're on the bus, their story versus your story, right? And this is a problem we always have. How do you tell your story, especially in, a, in an environment right now, social media, mainstream media, how do you break through with your story and getting that across to the population? How do you, that's a good question. Usually I don't get questions I can't answer immediately. <laughs> um, but you kind of gave the answer within the question. Tell your story. A lot of people don't tell their story. Anytime you ever look at uh, people who push, like Dan Kennedy pushes daily email marketing, Ben Settle pushes daily email marketing, and whenever you go look at their tactic, they always say, tell stories in your emails to sell products. Marketing is about telling a story. So tell your story. Tell the interesting stories. Tell the other people's interesting stories. A lot of interesting things happen in this world. Tell those stories. What did I do tonight? Just told a bunch of stories. That's how you connect with people and then add lessons to it. Can I add something to that? Yeah. Tell stories. Don't just give an analysis. Mmm. <laughs> Libertarians. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, you're very smart people. That's also the problem with you. <laughs> so you're outstanding at offering analysis that are very sophisticated right. and often devastatingly persuasive. The storytelling part of the program could use a lot of help. So that's an incredible. I just think it's a very good I learned that lesson. I was exposing Black Lives Matter and all this stuff with analysis. I don't do that shit no more. I'm fucking yeah. do my podcast and you get the information out. But you'll, you'll understand what's happening. And what is your podcast, sir? Um, well, we have Sharp Conversations with Hotep Jesus. And then we have uh, the main one, big one, Hotep's been told you. That's every Thursday, 8 p.m. live with Uncle Hotep. Real fun. Comedy show. Thank you so much.